tonight, if we had to give the message a title, we would boil it all down to this. Truth, more truth, and again, more truth. Truth, more truth, and again, more truth. Take your Bible and go to John 17. John 17. In church family, I feel a great deal of overwhelming urgency to keep pushing our church towards this chapter here in John 17. And over the last few weeks, God has really helped me to understand, especially as of late, that sometimes we truly need to stop and meditate corporately as a church on what's being preached from this pulpit. I believe with all of my heart that God communicates with our church through this pulpit, through the messages that are preached, not because of who's behind the pulpit, but because of what's being preached behind the pulpit. The messages are obvious, obviously for individual consumption, but sometimes the Lord is trying to teach the entire body, the entire congregation, something from His Word. And I'm in one of those moments. I feel like the whole church needs to consume what's found in this chapter. And tonight, we find ourselves right where we were, especially at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. We had planned to continue our series on marriage, and uh, the 1030 service on Sunday was a very unusual service. And no doubt, God moved and God helped a lot of people. And uh, we'll just trust Him. We can plan and we can pray and we can have an idea of what we should do and we'll do our very best. But sometimes God just changes the service. And that's what He did on 1030 service this Sunday, a special, special day. But let's go back closely and let's remember, let's never take it for granted, especially if you have a red letter edition of the Word of God, who it is that's speaking, who it is that's talking and who it is that's saying what's being said. Go to John 17 for the sake of time. Go to the ninth verse. These are the words of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, talking about Judas Iscariot, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. 
I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, for just a few minutes, we come back into your presence, and Lord, we're seeking truth. We're hungry for truth. We ask that truth would have its place here tonight in our hearts and in this service. Lord, we're not here for an opinion. We're not here for commentary. We're not here for a new leaf and a new idea. But God, we are here as your people, those who have been set aside, those who have been chosen before the foundation of the world. And Lord, we come hungry. God, we come desperate. And we come needing truth. More truth and yet again, more truth. Do it in our hearts tonight. Stir the church. Continue building on what you did Sunday. God, do something special in our hearts tonight. Use your word to change a life and start with me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Church, please understand and please take the time to read in perfect context what John chapter 17 really is. This is just a few moments before Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. This is just a few moments before his crushing. Just a few moments before his contemplation about what was coming. The pain and the agony of Gethsemane would turn into his arrest, his betrayal, and his crucifixion. But before he gets to that point, he prays out this prayer in John 17. This is direct communication between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his Father who is part of the Godhead. This is communication between two aspects, two personalities, two people found in the Godhead. These conversations are incredible that we have in Scripture, but there are some of them that really surpass anything that we could ever expect or hope to be found in the Word of God. And the fact that God would allow this special communication, this prayer between Jesus and the Father is so precious and it's so wonderful for us to be able to read this. There's no telling what we don't have access to. There's no telling what has been kept uncanonized from Scripture. There are so many other prayers, so many other actions. The miracles, uh, books and volumes could not even begin to scratch the surface of all that Jesus did and all that he was in his earthly ministry. But here we are at a very special, special place. And the whole prayer hinges in my heart on one verse he prays in three different distinctives. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for his church. And right there, smack dab in the middle of the transition in the prayer, he begins to pray for you specifically to be separated or to be sanctified. And then he qualifies what separates you and what sanctifies you. If you were here at 8 o'clock on Sunday, some of this will be repetitive. Some of this will be a review. We're going in a different direction even than where we were Sunday. But hold on to the fact and hold on to the thought that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was praying 
for you. Digest that. Allow that to metabolize, if you will, that Jesus prayed for you. If you ever feel alone, if you ever feel scared, if you ever feel like nobody in the church cares about you, if, if the devil's got you backed up in a corner and you feel all alone and you feel like nobody's praying for you, nobody cares, then you can turn to John 17 and read perfectly the prayer that Jesus prayed for you. That ought to do something for your heart to know that the Lord Jesus prayed specifically for you. You say, well, my name is not found in John 17. Well, if you belong to Jesus, you belong to the church. And if you belong to the church, then that night he prayed for you. But the whole chapter, the whole prayer for you and for me hinges on verse number 17. And this is what we're going to tear apart tonight. This is what we want to meditate on. It's the focal point of the prayer. And you'll find different opinions and you'll find different thoughts on that verse. But for me, I, I believe with all of my heart that this is the focal point as it pertains to our responsibility to consume, to metabolize, and to meditate on this chapter. Jesus prayed for you. He asked the Father, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And what we're going to focus on for just a moment is the word, word, thy word, thy word. If you have a Bible tonight, and I hope that you do, I want you to put it up in your hand unless you've got a bad rotator and then just leave it right there. But if you can raise your Bible, raise it up. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If you have a Bible tonight, let me just give you a few things from my heart about the word of God. These are simple things, really. Anyone can understand who loves the word of God. But let's just remember, let's be reminded about how wonderful and how beautiful it really is for human beings, imperfect, undeified people, to have access to the words of God. The manifested word of God. Number one, understand that your Bible is your greatest treasure. Your Bible is your greatest treasure. And by treasure, I do mean possession. It is the greatest possession. It is the greatest treasure that you have. I'm not talking about the spiritual aspect of your heart. I'm talking about what you own, what you possess. It is the greatest treasure that you have. The word of God. The word of God, the word of God is your greatest treasure. It is the key to everything. All of life hinges on the Bible. Without the Bible, you cannot know who Jesus is. Without the Bible, you cannot know the character of God. Without the Bible, you cannot understand your expectations from God for your life. Without the Bible, you would have no anchor point to what truth is. Without the Bible, you would have nothing but commentary and human thought and human idea on what God is or who God is. But because you have the Bible, you have the inerrant, infallible, holy and inspired, breathed words of God. And it was captured perfectly and canonized in scripture. And it is your greatest treasure. The old folks from the church, the old church church. I'm talking about a long time ago. 
There was such a reverence for the actual physical book of God's word that there would be a very large, about half the size of the coffee table in the living room, large family Bible found in most Christian people's homes. And it was visible in the house for a reason and for a purpose because it was the greatest treasure that the family had. It was not the size of the bank account. It was not the size of the bass boat. It was not vacation time and PTO and vacation pictures. It, it was the word of God. And there was a reason. We had coffee table size, King James Bibles, and they were big and they were beautiful and they were ornate and it was the centerpiece of the home. Why was that? Because that generation understood that the word of God is perfectly known and perfectly suited as a treasure. The word of God is a treasure. I find myself sometimes I'll be studying and I'll set my Bible to the side and I'll just be busy and I'll take my cell phone out, Brother Darren, and I'll just lay my cell phone on my Bible. It takes me about 13.6 seconds and I go, oh, goodness, let me get that thing off my Bible. There should be a reverence to the word of God. And yes, even the physical book that you possess, there should be something special about that book. I, I, I cannot tell you what it would do to me to lose my preaching Bible. I cherish it. I want it. I need it. It's one of the first things I look for in the mornings. It is a treasure to me. And that's exactly what the word of God should be for every believer. Thy word is truth and thy word is a treasure. Secondly, understand this. Uh, you must understand that the world that we're living in, even the spiritual realm of what we're living in, that there is a famine of knowledge of the word of God. The word of God is a treasure, but strangely there is a famine of knowledge of the word of God. And a lot of times what we see, what we hear in conversation, we'll be careful here, is willful ignorance. It's willful ignorance. There are a lot of people who will hear truth and they'll pretend like they didn't hear it. They'll hear something preached and the first thing they do when they get to the vehicle is pretend like they didn't get exposed to that truth. Because a lot of people are comfortable and look for justification for the way they are living by keeping a safe distance from truth. And, and a willful ignorance of the word of God means that there's a famine of knowledge of the word of God that produces some terrible things in life. And then even worse, number three, the famine of obedience to the word of God. It's one thing not to know what the word of God says. It's an entirely different thing to have an idea or to know what the word of God says and ignore it completely. So not only do you have a famine of the knowledge, but you have a famine of obedience to the word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. The Bible is wonderful and the Bible is real and the Bible is a treasure, but it will do nothing for your life if you do not obey the word of God. And there is a famine in this day and in this hour of knowledge and there is a famine of obedience. Stay with me. We're going somewhere with this. And number four, if you'll notice, there is the irrefutable proof 
But God's word is being completely rejected. And I'm speaking culturally. I'm talking about the, there's a word in Greek that describes the world. In Greek, it's cosmos. And it means everything that has to do with human systems and governments. The Germans have a word for it. It's called zeitgeist. Zeitgeist. There's not really a, an English equivalent. But it has to do with everything that's turning and everything that's churning all at the same time. Every government, every motion, every move, everything that's happening, every manipulation of darkness and evil. It's what we're talking about in Ephesians 6, the four levels of Satan's government. Everything that's warring against truth every day. And so the evidence that the truth of the word of God is being completely and totally, totally, uh, completely rejected is the evidence that we see in our people. The evidence that you see in Washington, the evidence that you see online, the evidence that you see in social media, the evidence that you see in the direction of our country. This is, this is where we are. It's irrefutable proof that God's word is being completely rejected. And it's because of the absence of truth. Listen now, we can't start splitting hairs on this stuff. The rebellion that's there, the, the, the rejection that's there, the issue with authority at the end of the day doesn't have really anything to do with politics. What you're watching happening to America, the things that are happening every day in cities all across our nation, at the end of the day, dear people, has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with a complete and total rejection of truth. The word of God is the ultimate truth. If you believe that, say amen. The word of God is the ultimate truth. It's the supreme truth. And if, if basic, simple truth, listen closely, if basic, simple truth can be subverted, then we can take more steps away from the supreme truth of God's word. It's not about the moral decline of America. It's not about the need of a revival of Mayberry with Barney and Andy. I would love that. But at the end of the day, that's not what it's about. It's about a war. It's about an aggression. It's about a stance. It's about a hardening towards truth. When you take, when you take nine and 10 year olds and you change the curriculum that they're being taught in school, I wasn't going to pull this out, but I'm going to pull it out anyway. Let's just go full send here. Essex Westford School District, Essex Junction, Vermont, 05452 for the zip code. April 20th, 2023. Dear fifth grade families and caregivers, fifth grade, how old are you in the fifth grade? 10, 11? If you're really smart, nine. I think I was 15 in the fifth grade. <laughs> Listen to this. It's time for our science and health unit about the human body focused on puberty and the human reproductive systems. I already have heartburn. This unit will take place during the last few months of school. We will focus on the physical and emotional changes that occur during puberty and briefly introduce the basic structure and function of human reproductive systems. 
Students will be participating in whole group discussions and have private reflection time. There will also be three interview opportunities coming home throughout the unit. Here's the kicker. In an effort to align our curriculum with our equity policy, teachers will be using gender-inclusive language throughout this unit. With any differences, we strive to use person-first language as best practice. You will see examples of this below. We will be using the following language with students. Person who produces sperm in place of boy or male. Person who produces eggs in place of girl or female. To align with our equity policy. This has nothing to do with politics. That trash has everything to do with the fact that the devil himself hates the truth of God's word. And God's word says there's a male and there's a female. And if they're going to be married, that's the only thing that God can bless. That's the only thing that God says is right. And it's an attempt at 9 and 10 and 11 years old to scramble the processes of children that young. Shame on those people. That has nothing to do with inclusivity. Are you starting to see the world clearly now, a little more, understanding that it has nothing to do with politics? If you can castrate the next generation, and if you can cause them to question what is gender and how is it fluid, and well, am I a boy and am I a girl, then what are we going to have in 15 years? You say, well, pastor, that's so mean and aggressive. And if you're not careful, you'll be labeled as a, 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 a right-wing radical. Label me. Get a big neon sign. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with good versus evil. It's an attack on truth. Jesus prayed for you specifically. Go back to John 17. Look at verse number 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. They are aliens in a foreign land. That's not their home. He's begged God to keep them from evil in verse 15. And then sanctify them. Sanctify them. Separate them from evil. And how does that happen? It happens through truth. Thy word is Truth. At the end of the day, the direction of the country has nothing to do with a left-wing radical shift. It has everything to do with taking our country further and further away from the authority of God. It's a hate of God. It's a hate of truth. It has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. And the church is going to have to grow up and realize that it has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with a hatred and a subversion of truth. Let the church say amen. amen. The word of God is the ultimate truth. It is the ultimate truth. It is the ultimate truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Why would we want to go away from the word of God? Why would there be a war on simple basic truths about boys and girls and who belongs where and in what bathroom? So that we can begin the process of desensitizing and spiritually neutering. Listen to me, the next generation. You start messing with someone's gender identity and you'll fracture their soul. You confuse a nine-year-old about boy or girl and you're going to destroy their little life. 
There will be nothing they hear. There will be no hope. There will be nothing but darkness. It all comes back to a war for their soul. And listen, I know it's not popular. And I know it causes us to go, oh Lord, uh, who's going to hear this online? We cannot be afraid of standing up for what's right and for what's true. It doesn't matter what the world says. Thus saith the Lord God from his word. So when you leave your Bible at home and it collects dust and it doesn't collect tears, you are taking a step away further from the truth. And Jesus prayed for you, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word. You have to take in account this. It can't just be about black letters and red letters on white pages. You must take into account the fact that there is the eternal preexistence of the word. The eternal preexistence of the word. John chapter 1 verse number 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. This word manifested in the person of Jesus Christ was never created. It always existed. It always was and it always has been and it always will be. The word of God. And then John, 4, John 1.14, it makes it even more special. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And while Christ as God, listen to me now, as Christ as God was uncreated and eternal. You can go all through the word of God and find that to be true. Jesus Christ, listen, was not created he always has been and He always will be. God did not start one day and decide to begin and create Jesus. They have always, always, always existed. The pre-existence of God. Our minds can't even begin to process that. And this is what Satan fights the most because Satan fears the truth of God's Word. Because inside the Word of God, Satan finds his end. Satan finds his demise. Satan finds the end of evil. Satan finds the destruction of his government. And at the end of the day, it's what he fights the most because that's where the power is. That's where the truth is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's the war that's continued since Lucifer was ex parte from heaven. It's a, it's a continual war. And it's a war on the truth because it's a war against God. And a war specifically on the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. Realize this. Wake up to this. And some of you have and you've embraced what the Word of God should be. And how it is to be treasured. And how the war is truly against truth. And it's not political. But if you have not come to terms with that for your family, please do so. Maybe even tonight. The Word now made manifest for us to see. And scripture now that reveals the word to us. My connection, my understanding, my eternal and earthly purpose is all anchored in the word of God. Boy, let me repeat that again. 
My existence, my purpose, my eternal and earthly purpose, every bit of that is anchored to the word of God. If you're looking for personal direction, if you're looking for your life to mean something, it will only mean something and you'll only find meaningful direction when you learn to love thy word. The word of God. We're processing this tonight. Let's talk about what the Lord Jesus is asking the Father specifically. In verse number 15, he says, keep them from evil. Why would Jesus think about what's happening Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is praying to the Father. And he's asking the Father to keep you from the evil. Verse number 15, please highlight these. Go back and read all of this. The reference here refers to the protection from Satan. He's asking God the Father to protect you from Satan. He's asking God the Father to protect you from evil. He's asking God the Father to protect you from what will destroy you and your marriage and your family and your children. First Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus was not ignorant of this. And so he prayed for you, that God the Father would keep you, that he would protect you, because Jesus was aware of what would happen to some people who really turn from truth, didn't hide it in their heart. Jesus is praying for your spiritual protection. Jesus Christ is praying to the Father for your spiritual well-being. This is the heart of Jesus for you, revealed in this chapter. He's praying for his bride. He's praying for his church. Father, don't let them wonder. Father, don't let Winston's eyes go in a place they don't belong. Father, don't let Winston's heart be bogged down with things that don't matter. Father, protect him, keep him, because I'm glorified and you're glorified when he listens and obeys the word. Our Lord here is praying in such a stark contrast to what a a lot of so-called preachers and churches embrace. We have got to protect ourselves from this idea that salvation is your get out of hell free card. You get saved, sign up, join us, show up when you can, and then live as you please until you walk in the door and it's time for service to begin. That's not what Jesus prayed for. Jesus prayed that you would be separated from evil. Jesus prayed that you would be separated from wickedness. It still means something to belong to Jesus. We cannot come to church on Sunday and lift a hand and shed a tear and sing a song in the choir and then show up to the bar on Friday night and do our thing and drink our drink and act like God is pleased with us. Who are we kidding? You say, well, that's, that's subjective and I, you know, we'll have to disagree. Go to what Jesus Christ prayed for you. He prayed that you would be away from it, that you would be separated from it. 
Don't even have the appearance of evil because I have prayed that you would be separated from it. Boy, that's not popular, but it's what Jesus prayed for you. Be separated from your own desires, your own emotions that are kept unchecked. It's not what Jesus prayed. He said for you to be separated. We'll end with this thought. We have to go tonight. We'll never get to the end of this. But when he said sanctify them, well, that verse has just rang in my heart over and over and over the last few weeks. Sanctify them. The idea of sanctification is that setting apart. But listen to me. If you don't listen to anything else I say, maybe you disagree about the, 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 the gender identity stuff that's being taught at school. That's fine. We can, we can agree to disagree, but know that you're wrong. <laughs> that sounded like Pastor Nathan Hawkins. <laughs> Mom and Daddy, you tell him I said that. I love him. But understand this. Sanctification is a word that's it's really died off in churches. It's died off from pulpits. But it's a biblical word and it's a biblical principle. A lot of people get upset when you talk about sanctification as a continual process. But you cannot rightly divide the word of God and not see sanctification as a continual process. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is to be separated from the world or sanctified. And at salvation, you are forgiven, you are justified, you are declared righteous, and yes, you are sanctified. But the sanctification does not end. Thank God, my poppy Whenever he got saved in 1930, whatever it was, I need to go reread the book. Obviously, I don't know good enough. When he got saved, William McBurney was preaching. Listen, when he got saved that day, do you think that Ralph Sexton Sr. knew everything that he knew at the day he got saved, the day that he died about the Lord? Was he as close the day he got saved to the Lord as the day he died? No, praise God. He grew in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's what this is talking about. Sanctification is accomplished by the means of truth, but it's not just, listen, it's not just about you being separated from sin. It's not just about you being separated from flesh. It's not just about you being separated from the world. It's about you being separated for a purpose. It's about being separated for a purpose. If you read John 17 clearly, you'll find that Jesus not only prayed for all these incredible things for you and his disciples, but he prayed that we would be mission-minded, going and telling others. And sanctification is that continual process of you learning, of you growing in the grace and in the knowledge. It's a genuine progressive disconnect from sin. It's a Genuine, progressive disconnect from flesh. But it's a disconnect that moves towards righteousness. J.I. Packer, a theologian that I respect, he said this, sanctification has a double aspect. It's a double aspect. Its positive side is vivification, the growing and the maturing of the new man. Its negative side is the mortification, the weakening and the killing of the old man. That's John 3.30 lived out each and every day. Your sanctification, your growth in the Lord Jesus never stops. And the moment that it does, you're in trouble. The moment that it stops, you're in trouble. 
Sound the alarm, flip the switch, raise the flag. Something's wrong, something's off. The moment you're not hungry for more truth is the moment there's an issue, there's a problem. You never reach a level of spiritual maturity where you've ascertained some level. This is not a game of Mario. This is a a life that is a vapor where people who are here for the assigned amount of time that they're here, they just become more desperate for God. And as they become more desperate, God reveals more of himself to them. It's a continual growth process. The good news is that God won't leave you where you are. He will take you to a new place. Then we come to the problem of consistency. And this is where it's tough. Because the moment I decide to disconnect and go my way, there is no gray area here. We're either going for God, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, or we are agents of lie, agents of dishonesty, agents that works against the church. Think of that. The word of God rightly divides lukewarmness. He he perfectly explained it to you. It makes him sick to his stomach and it'll spew it out of his mouth. There has to be a level of daily accountability in our lives that pushes us to truth. Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That's the key to all of this. That's the key to all of this. Your family, whatever the problem is, I don't care what it is, plug it in the box. The answer, the answer is the word of God. Always. Always, I don't care what your problem is, I don't care what you're facing, the answer will always be the Word of God. Write this verse down, I want you to go back tonight and look at it, we have to dismiss. But 2 Corinthians 3.18, look at that verse, understand what it's talking about, going from glory to glory. Understand that God will grow you, He will develop you. This is not just emotion that's done in vain. Let me give you these things really quick, and we'll say Amen. If you're taking notes, I want to give you just a little practicality to this. How do I take the Word of God and do something with it? It's more than just reading the words. This is not a honeydew list. When you read the Word of God, you consume the Word of God. Number one, I want you to pray first. Pray first. Ask God to open your eyes, to open your heart. There's something about studying the Word of God in the Holy Ghost. God, I pray that you'd flood this room and open my eyes. Pray that prayer. And then I want you to believe it. Believe it. Ask God to help you believe it, to give you the faith to believe what you're reading and what's being revealed. Allow it to expose sin and spiritual weakness. When it steps on your toes, allow it to step on your toes. When it offends you, praise the Lord for the offense. And then pray about what it exposes. You read the word of God, you do it with the right heart, it will expose something. And God will help you. But you have to pray about what it exposes. You have to conform your life to what the Bible says. We simply have to live it. And lastly, you have to understand that there's generational blessing attached to your obedience to truth. There's generational blessing attached to your obedience 
to the Word of God. Tonight I'm preaching from my Bible, the Bible I talked about just a moment ago. It's my preaching Bible. Got this Bible in 2006. I told my mom and dad that I felt like the Lord was dealing with me about ministry. I was 16. Took 11 years before I would surrender fully. But they gave me this Bible. This is an old Schofield Bible. And I love this Bible. And it's mine. And this is the truth of God's Word. And I want my life to reflect what I find here. I want it to change me. I want it to grow me every day. Is that you? Don't you want what's here? This treasure? But as I was in my office this afternoon and praying and studying, I thought about the fact that I have a Bible. How did I come to have this Bible? Was it by accident? Was it by design? Did God have something to do maybe with me getting this Bible, Miss Angie? I believe so. You see, I had a daddy that gave me that Bible. He purchased it for me. And he said, son, if, if you're praying about ministry, your life, then this is where you need to go. But here's the thing. Dad did not say that from a place of an experience because right here in my hand tonight it is my dad's Bible. My dad had a copy of the Word of God in our home. From the day I was born to this day, you go to my father's house in Leicester and you'll find copies of the Word of God. Perfect parents there? No. Parents that tried? Yes. Parents that loved the Word of God? To the best of their ability. And because of their obedience and their faithfulness, I have access to the Word of God. I'm not a first generation I'm not the only Christian in my family. I don't have a sad story of nobody in my family's ever spoke truth, ever given me truth. There has been a benefit of exposure to truth because my daddy obeyed the word of God. And it didn't just start with him. Here's my granddaddy's Bible, my granddaddy's preaching Bible. And what you find here is the Word of God. The same Word that's in here is the same Word that's in these two. And praise God, he passed it on to his daughter who married a man who passed it on to his son. And praise God, there has been a benefit because he was obedient to obey the Word of God. There is a generational benefit to the Word of God being in your home. And it didn't just start with him. You can go back to his daddy and here's one of his preaching Bibles and it's the same Bible and it's the same truth and it'll get us all the way home if we'll just trust and obey for there is no other way than to be passionate and to be in love with the truth of the word of God truth more truth and yet again more truth What's anchoring your family? And if it's not one of these Bibles, get you one and let it change your life. I'm hungry for this church to get a passion for the Word of God like never before. Let's pray for that now. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, thank you for our time together. Lord, I pray that this would... God, do something in our hearts tonight that we would be absolutely made aware of where we are personally, but God, where we are corporately. God, the word of God 
in its right place of supremacy in our lives. Lord, we're hungry for truth. We're hungry for what's real. We pray for our families tonight, our children and our teenagers. God, for every child that goes to public school in this country. God, the onslaught and the attack that's coming for them. Lord, we pray that someone somewhere with the word of God would stand up for what's right because of what the word of God says. Lord, I pray that you would touch us, touch our church, give us strength of body, clarity of mind, touch our hearts tonight, and use the word of God to change our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the few extra moments. I so do appreciate it. And I'm sure your children and your teenagers didn't mind it. They're having fun next door. But please, if you have a student next door, stand as quickly as you can and go get them. Let's let those volunteers go home. If you have a child in the nursery, I'm sure they're probably ready to G-O, go. So go get your kids and be safe going home. We'll see you on the Lord's Day. God bless you and good night.